Welcome to Healthcare Hacks and Connections Podcast. Here you will learn all things podcasting, acquiring amazing tips and tricks required to transform your podcast into a central tool to grow your business. On this show, we will bring in expert guests from across the healthcare spectrum. They will share their personal stories, discuss their struggles, and give real examples of how a podcast helped to grow their business. Now let's head into this week's episode. All right, guys, welcome back to the podcast. So today we have a guest with us, Dr. Angela Mulrooney. So she is a former dentist, so retired dentist turned personal branding expert. And we're going to get to dive a little more into that because I feel like she's going to be able to help you practitioners out there that are really haven't dived into your personal branding, but also you just don't know where to even start with it. So let's welcome uh, Dr. Angela Marooney. Thanks for having me here, Nathan. It's a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show. So for listeners that don't know about you already, can you just give a little bit more of an in-depth bio to you? Sure. So I was originally a dentist, as you mentioned, and I built an amazing practice. It was a referral-based practice from other general practitioners because I had IV station, implant dentistry, uh, full mouth reconstruction, as well as sleep apnea. And I catered to people who were afraid of the dentist. So you can imagine for a lot of dentists, this was like a godsend that someone existed who liked these people. Just as I got my clinic to exactly where I wanted it to be, that's when I ended up starting to have pain in my drilling hand. And unfortunately, three months later, my hand stopped working during a procedure with a patient. And that was the last day I got to practice. So for the next two and a half years, I ended up keeping my practice because everyone told me to and just tried to make it work, tried to bring the practice more general instead of as as niche as it had become. And then when the oil crisis hit in 2015, I saw the economy tanking because I was in Calgary, Alberta, which is super oil-based. And so I decided to sell. So the year after that, I took away from dentistry because I didn't really want to talk to anyone from the industry because they felt bad for me. They just showed pity on their face, which made me really emotional. So I was like, I'm just not going to hang out with you people for now. So I went back to dancing professionally, which I'd done since I'd become a dentist, built my uh, dance company, Unleashed Dance Company. And then after a year of that, I decided to return back to the dental world and see how I could take what I had learned, the good stuff and the crap, and reach back and help my fellow dentists to move forward as easily as possible with their businesses. So to get that company noticed, I took to LinkedIn started talking about what I knew about dentistry, about branding, about niching. And in a year, I went from 200 to 12,000 industry followers. And then suddenly people were asking me, uh, can you do that for me? Right. Yeah. So I started taking on a few little case studies with some of my forgiving friends. And I wanted to see if the method I had used myself was replicatable. And it was. So about 6 months after I started helping my friends, then it became an official company. And that was January of 2020. And so I hired two and a half full-time team members, COVID hit two months later, almost to the day. And by 10 months into the pandemic, we'd gone from two and a half to 14 full-time team members. So the company exploded because people couldn't go out for coffee. They couldn't go to networking events. They couldn't go and speak from the stage. So Mm -hmm. they had to find a different platform to get the word out there. Mm -hmm. And so that's where Unleashing Influence came from. And then I decided to move to Nicaragua in 
January of 2021, so almost a year after establishing that company. And I got here and realized I had made, really created a beast that I couldn't control anymore. So I had the dance company, I had the dental coaching company, and I had this this fast-growing social media company. And I decided that it wasn't making me happy. And I wanted to take the best of all worlds, bring it into one company. So I sold the dance company, I sold the dental coaching company, and I sold the agency part of Unleashing Influence Off and just niched into exactly what I do best, which is teaching media mastery through their personal brand on LinkedIn. Jeez, you are a superwoman, I gotta say. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, uh, well, we're going to definitely talk about all of that. First thing I would ask you, though, is in regards to having that event happen with your hands, mm-hmm. especially a lot of practitioners, like, this is the money, like, like right here. How did that feel? What was the, the initial impact of that on you? Well, for the three months leading up to when my hand actually stopped, I had this sinking feeling that something was really wrong. And so I was going to the physiotherapist. They were sticking me full of needles Mm -hmm. three times a week to try and get the muscles to chill out again because my hand would be like a claw and the muscles would be like rock by the end of the day. And I couldn't even type my notes. Mm -hmm. So we were trying to rehab it that way. And then when it finally happened, it was that moment where you realize life just changed (laughs) in such a massive way. Like I knew it wasn't going to get better. And it took six months for them to figure out exactly what was wrong. Mm -hmm. And during that time, everyone's trying to be positive and like, Oh, everything's going to be fine. You're going to get back to it. And in my gut, I was, this instinct was saying like, no, it's not like this is you're done. Mm -hmm. And by the time they diagnosed me with vocal dystonia, the doctor at the Mayo Clinic told me, you know, you need to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life, because you're no longer going to be a dentist. Mm. And by that point, honestly, I had spent so much time in the corner crying, not really feeling sorry for myself, but grieving the fact that I'd wanted to be a dentist since I was two and I was 32 when it happened. So it was a big deal to let Mm. go of that dream. And so I'll be honest, it was actually a relief when they told me that I couldn't go back because there wasn't this war inside me of like, maybe you get to go back, maybe you don't. And not knowing what my path forward would be. So yeah, there was definitely, (laughs) there was a struggle up until that point. And then after that, it was trying to figure out really, what am I going to do with the rest of my life? I don't know what I'm meant to be without having a drill in my hand. So I had to really do a lot of soul searching. And I think that's where all those companies came from too, is me trying to figure out how I best operated in the world. And it took me, the injury happened in 2013. So it took me until last year, 2021, to figure out really what I wanted to do in this world. So it took me eight years of experimenting, building brands around my unique talents to really be able to go, okay, I've experimented with everything. Now let's hone it down into exactly what I want to do with my life. So it's been a journey. Man, I, I commend you for that. I think, I think a lot of people can resonate with you there because whether it's they have something traumatic that happens to them where you know it, it affects their hands and what they work with or... Sometimes it's, they just fall out of love of the job that they went to school for. Mm-hmm. So let's touch into now, you started the dance company after that. Where did that love and passion come from? Well, I was originally a gymnast as a kid. And then when I went to university, the biggest social club in the University of Saskatchewan is the Ball and Dancing Club. So it was actually the largest 
social ballroom dancing club in North America. There was 1500 members. Mm-hmm. And so I started going because I'm like, well, everyone else is going. So I might as well try this. By the end of the first year, they approached me to ask me to start teaching for them. I'm like, no, 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 I'm trying to get into dental school. Don't distract me. And then after the second year, I did get into dental school and I'm like, no, no, come back. I need to be distracted. So I started teaching for them, taught for four years and then turned professional when I finished dental school. And I danced professionally during my dental career. So there was my first year, I would get up and be at the studio at 6 a.m., be at the clinic at 9 a.m. And then after work, go back to the studio, be there till 10 a.m. and then or 10 p.m. and then rinse and repeat five, six days a week. So there was that duality of career happening Mm -hmm. all through that point. And like a lot of the dental community didn't realize that I danced professionally. My patients knew because they would come to competitions and whatnot. But uh, a lot of people thought I'd lost my mind and ran away and joined the circus instead of actually making a professional career decision. That's great. And then, so I'm guessing, so it was called Unleash Dance Company. And then you started Unleash Influence. I'm guessing the Unleash part came from, from, from that. But why Unleash? What is the reason behind Unleash? So what I felt when they told me that I wasn't going to be able to dentist anymore was like this energetic chain mm-hmm. was released. And so I felt like I was unleashed from my career. I was unleashed from all this expectation, all this hope and fear and all this stuff just kind of threw me back out into the world to start again. Got it. Perfect. Okay. So now you have this personal branding company agency and you started with two people and then you grew it to 14, right? Mm-hmm. How was it doing that? Like step being, in, I mean, well, besides you already were a leader from your practice, mm-hmm. but becoming a different leader. Well, honestly, things just kept snowballing so fast and the company just took off and I was just honestly trying to keep up with everything. And, mm-hmm. you know, it was like, okay, we have another position we need to fill. Let's find the person who is keen to do it, wants to learn the methodology, has the background to do it and would bring them in. And Mm -hmm. part of the reason once I moved to Nicaragua that I decided to let go of the agency was there were so many moving parts and they were developing so fast that I felt like things were really getting out of control. And there wasn't that time to like stop and sit back and systemize things. It was like, okay, let's throw in a system. Do you have some ideas? Okay, let's throw it in. And so there was quite a hodgepodge of stuff that was happening and we were making a lot of money and it was it was working well, but I didn't like the fact that it felt like this, this freight train that was out of control. And I started waking up in the middle of the night going, did I forget to do something? Or did, did my team forget to do something? And a lot of the clients that I was working with were friends and colleagues. So... I didn't want to fail them. And I felt like it was going to get to the point where something had to give. And I had a choice to like, kind of take a halt and really dive into it. Mm -hmm. Or I could listen to my gut, which was saying, you didn't really want to build this beast. You did it because the opportunity was there. And as an entrepreneur, you know, when opportunities are like, you're like, oh, I can do that. And so I made the decision to sell the agency part off and just work on exactly what I do best. And honestly, it's been the best decision I've ever made. Got it. So now how many team members do you have under you? I have one virtual assistant. That's it. Okay. That's great. Yeah. And I brought in a whole bunch of automation. So like 
my contracts go out automatically, my payments get uh, uh, triggered automatically. So I've got all these systems in place now that have allowed it allowed me to know what is happening in the machine. There's no human error. Mm-hmm. And then my virtual assistant is the one who, for anything that has to be humanized, he's the one that keeps t- track of that. Awesome. So with the systemizing it, how did you go about doing that? Like, how did you figure out like, okay, this actually requires my zone of genius or this requires the zone of genius of, of your uh, VA versus like you having your hand in every pot? Mm-hmm. Well, originally I did everything myself. So I take a course and I would look for, okay, this is the problem I have. What are the solutions out there? So I take a course on that, learn how to do it. And then it would get to a point where I would go, okay, I understand it. Now I need someone to manage it. So I'd bring in someone from Upwork or find a contractor online that was mm-hmm. a specialist in that. Mm-hmm. But I always wanted to understand it to some extent. Like even all my websites, I built the original first copy of mm-hmm. each of them. And sometimes the second and third iterations of them. Because I wanted to understand what I was dealing with. So that I had the ability to make an, have an educated discussion with people who were helping me. Yes. As well as be able to understand what is working and what's not working. So that I can't get duped. Maybe that's a little bit, you know, control freak about me, mm-hmm. but I do like to understand things so that I don't feel like someone is going to pull the wool over my eyes. Got it. And with the previous experience, did something like that happen with your agency or? No, it's, I think it's just my personality. I have, when it comes to different programs and whatnot, yeah. I, I have the ability to learn things pretty quickly. So and for me, sometimes it's just about expanding my horizons and seeing, you know, would I like to do this? Would I not? Uh, and testing that out as well. And honestly, those eight years after my injury, it was a lot of experimentation, just trying to figure out where is my, where does my mastery lie? Mm-hmm. And what do I need to pull in to become better at that? Got it. So we were talking about your systems and stuff, stuff like that. So what tools are you using? So my favorite tool is Active Campaign. Okay. So it's a CRM. And you know, in healthcare, we have these things called practice management software. That's what we call it in dentistry. Mm-hmm. You have something that manages your, your business. And once you step out into the business world, those things don't exist. They're called a CRM. And that's client management, making sure you know if you talk to someone that you keep track of them, you can move them down the pipeline. Yeah. It's a very different scenario for most people, especially if they came from healthcare. When someone says CRM, they're like, uh, pardon me. And I did the same thing. Like the first six months of working with my business coach, yeah. every time he said CRM, I was like, I'm so sorry. Can you define that one more time for me? Because yeah. it just would fall out of my brain. Yeah. Uh, for those that don't know what a CRM is, it's basically related to an EMR. That's the basic thing that I can compare to, correct? There you go. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So this business is running and everything. What have you done to de-stress? Aside from moving to Nicaragua? (laughs) I mean, that's probably great to be honest. But yes, besides that. I think simplifying has been the biggest de-stressor and making that decision to divest, get rid of the things that I didn't love doing, like the dental coaching company, Unleashing Dentistry's Potential. It was every time I went in and talked to a practice, it was like ripping a scab off my heart, right? Because it was watching other people do what I wanted to do and not be as committed as I wanted to be when I was in practice. So getting rid of those companies, 
really lighting that match and just starting to burn down everything that's not working. Mm -hmm. And for most people, it's scary. It was terrifying for me when I made that decision. This is the path I'm going to take. I'm getting rid of everything else because there is that there's security, even though it's really not that secure in hedging your bets and being like, okay, well, if I have these three different things going on, if something goes wrong, I can always go back to the other two or one of them. Mm -hmm. And the thing is, when you spread yourself so thin, you can't be masterful at anything. You become almost this jack of all trades, even if they're in very disparate industries like my companies were. And mm -hmm. not only made me confusing to the market from a personal branding perspective, but it took so much brain power to keep track of what was going on in each of these companies. So the biggest gift really I gave myself was burning down what wasn't working. Got it. So when you were talking about the marketing aspect of it and you saying it was hard that you're talking about like niching down, correct? Yes. So why is it important for people to niche down in your thoughts? It, in my thoughts, I think a lot of us get scared to do it because we're afraid we're going to get bored, especially mm -hmm. like I work with really highly talented, highly intelligent people who have all these different talents. And they think if I'm just going to do one thing, I'm going to get bored. The thing is, whatever you choose to niche into, there is so much to learn about that niche. And once you start digging, you start to realize how little you actually know. And so that's part of the reason you want to niche into it is because it allows you to start creating that mastery. You have that time, you have that focus to find those things that need to be on your radar that you need to learn more about. Mm -hmm. And then the more you do that task, and it'll be customized every time. You're not going to be rinse and repeat exactly the same thing every time, especially if you're working with people, things change with every scenario. Yeah. But by allowing yourself to do that, you also allow yourself to be understandable in the marketplace. People don't understand people who run a whole bunch of companies or they dance professionally and they're a dentist, right? That's confusing because people go, how can they, you know, how can they do so many things at a high level? And some people can. Mm -hmm. But if you are trying to develop out your personal brand, you want to be understandable to the market. You want to create that congruency in your offerings, in your personality, in how you interact with the world, whether that is on a sales call, whether that's seeing a patient, whether that is how you, you show up on your content. And the more you niche in to not only your, the mastery of your skills, but also the mastery of who you are and how you show up, the easier you are to understand. Got it. And then, and then that relates to also creating the content. Then it's easier to create the content. Exactly. And what I recommend with people when they're developing out their personal brand and they want to create that thought leadership content is pick three big topics. That's it. And then those three topics have a ton of nuance to them. So you can build all these subtopics and discuss the, the nuts and bolts of each of those things. Because And you're not going to be creating a whole bunch of content that's really long. People mm -hmm. aren't going to watch it. You want to get your point across in 30 to 60 seconds. So if you can hone in on one of those pieces of one of those three topics in those 30 to 60 seconds, that's how you're going to win. Because you're going to leave people with the ability to walk away and think about it. Mm -hmm. If you come out with too much stuff in one video, because you're trying to just vomit out everything that you know, it doesn't stick. People go, I'm not sure what I was supposed to get out of that. And I'm not sure if that was worth my time. So you mm -hmm. lose your audience very quickly as well. Got it. So... Sometimes the Gary V method of things where it's like, just create content, something's going to stick almost. Mm -hmm. It doesn't really work all the time. 
Well, who's got time for that? Most people don't have an editing agency behind them. They don't have time, especially if they not, they're not just running a business, they're seeing patients and running a business and being the HR department and being the marketing department. Yes. You don't have time to be creating videos five times a day. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And even if you're recycling content, how much are you willing to spend on the organic tactic in such a way that they're recycling it in lots of different ways? Or are you better to be concentrated and focused on what you're doing? Again, niching into your mastery. Yeah. You know, create that content that people go, ah, oh, that was really well thought of. You made me think differently about something mm-hmm. versus really throwing spaghetti against the wall. And honestly, I love Gary Vee, total respect for him. But for most people, that method isn't going to work. They just don't have the time to put into it, especially mm-hmm. again, when you are hands-on with your patients. Got it. And that's, that's where you should be then, right? Is like hands-on with your patient. That's, that's what you're, you're making the money off of, right? So I would like to kind of ask you about this then is when you're creating content is batching. Do you have a strategy around batching? Do you feel like it's even helpful? Is it almost like some people kind of get afraid because they're like, oh my God, I need to create, let's say for the whole quarter Mm -hmm. batching. What I find is if someone is like, oh, I'm just going to be spontaneous and off the cuff and create something every week or every day, something gets in the way and they end up not having time to do it. And if you are talking about things that are more evergreen, yes, we've been through a period the last two years where things have shifted and you've had to be a little bit more on the cusp of what's going on. Mm -hmm. But for the most part, the concepts that we talk about in healthcare are pretty evergreen. And so you're probably more likely to commit to spending an hour, spending two hours once a month or once a quarter, creating a bunch of content that you can put out there. And you don't need to be putting out a lot of stuff. LinkedIn likes two to three videos a week or two to three pieces of content a week. And what I recommend is you put out one video per week and then take that video and turn it into an infographic. Mm -hmm. Take a photo and turn it into a metaphor about that video Mm -hmm. so that you're hitting people in lots of different ways because we don't all consume information the same way. Some people aren't going to watch a video because they can't absorb the information auditorially. Mm-hmm. Some people aren't going to read an article because they need to hear it instead. Some people aren't going to understand a metaphor and be able to integrate that. So it's good to hit them in lots of different ways with the same idea. And we get a bit afraid of not being completely original on every video, just like we want to be completely spontaneous. But mm-hmm. we do need to hit people with the same information over and over again. That's how we create that mastery. That's how we showcase that this is our niche. This is where our expertise lies. It's not by talking about a thousand different things where you just leave your audience confused. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's very important uh, to not just speak into everything because then you do get confused and you can, well, you get confused yourself, but then also you're confusing your audience because then they're, like you said, they don't know what it is that you do. What do you help with? You mm-hmm. know? And then if you're not even saying what you help with, then, then no one knows. <laughs> and then yeah. you're creating content just to, I don't even know what. <laughs> yeah. We were creating content because you were told you should do this. And yeah. it feels good that you did something, but it takes effort. It takes money to get it edited, or it's going to take time away from patients to edit mm-hmm. it yourself. And so you want to be very focused with what you're putting out there. And you want to be very intentional about mm-hmm. what you're trying to get out of it. 
if you're just trying to gain popularity and gain 100,000 followers, is that really what you should be doing as a healthcare practitioner? Mm -hmm. Or should you be trying to gain those ideal clients who are going to come to your practice, who are going to be in your chair or on your table, gaining the help that you have to offer them? I think it's better to be intentional because we are all so short of time and energy. And when you say that too, I think of, you know, like the follower stuff is nice. Mm -hmm. It feels good. It feels good. And you're like, woo, I got 4K or whatever, 10,000 followers. But then someone asks you, okay, but what is that related to your revenue? And you're like, oh shit, I don't know. (laughs) Right. And most people, when they're they're trying to gain that popularity of numbers, mm-hmm. they're not worrying about even connecting with right people. They're just they're binging on building an audience. Mm-hmm. And what works really well on LinkedIn is yes, creating great content. Make sure it's intentional. Make sure it serves the purpose that you're trying to achieve. But also get there and start talking to people. Have a conversation. It doesn't have to be hitting them over the head with a pitch saying, "I'm the best practitioner ever. You should totally come to me." Be human about it. Ask them how everything is going in the world. And when you ask a simple question that is a connection question, not a pitch question, people let their guard down. Mm-hmm. I have people write me paragraphs back after asking that simple question. And so it opens this window to actually see if potentially your personalities will connect, if there's an opportunity to serve them. And it's far more effective than, again, just trying to gain that number of followers. It's a very outdated tactic. And especially on LinkedIn, it's not what it's about. LinkedIn is about networking. It's about business to business, about business to client. You have the ability, if people are the right kind of clients on there, to actually connect with them and be able to do business with them. And sometimes it goes both ways. Like I meet people all the time where they have something I didn't even realize existed. And Mm -hmm. so I have the ability to leverage their service to help myself or to help all the clients that I work with. There you go. And I think that's... Because I feel like uh, LinkedIn is very B2B, but the fact that you say it's B2C, that changes uh, a lot of people's minds probably because, mm-hmm. yeah, they're thinking it's B2B and they see a lot of that out there. But there are clients out there. They're just not, I don't know, they're not raising their hand all the way. Right. And I'll, I'll be honest, for my dental coaching company and for Unleashing Influence, mm-hmm. 100% of my clients come to me directly from LinkedIn. Mm. Or they come to a referral from someone that I talked to on LinkedIn. So it's not... Yes, absolutely. LinkedIn has been deemed this B2B mm-hmm. platform, business to business. But you have the ability to go from your business directly to clients as well by taking the time to have those conversations. And when you message someone and you start that conversation, they're going to go look at your profile. They want to see what you're about because you could have this perfectly crafted message And then they see that you're not actually interacting on LinkedIn. You haven't posted something in four years. You don't have anything about your profile actually properly filled out. Or you're creating content that isn't relevant to them. And so they're going to disengage. Yeah. So it it really does... You have the ability to showcase yourself really well and connect at a higher level. You know what? And I think that just humanizes you, really. We're kind of lost in this space, but I'll, um, I'll bring it back to, I was at an event, the mastermind event, and we challenged. So students to basically go into the community that we're, we're at and 
asked people just about like, you know, we told them, we gave them 20 bucks and it was a scavenger hunt, bring back something worthwhile of this. But one group brought back is they filmed people asking them about their day. And then these people were like, this is weird. Like, I don't, I don't know, like, why are you asking about my day? But like some people very like, they took it and they like, they're like, wow, you know, thank you. Thank you for asking about my day. Actually, I was having a horrible day until Mm -hmm. you came, you know, and it's like, you never know who you're going to affect when, Mm -hmm. when you're just reaching out to just check on someone. Yes. And I think with the pandemic, we realized how disconnected we have And I don't think it was the lockdowns that made us disconnected. We were disconnected before that. Mm -hmm. It just shone this massive light on the disconnection that we had. And, you know, when someone reaches out, and even if it's just your pen palling back and forth about it, it feels nice to have someone there who's hearing you and seeing you and feeling what you're going through. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why a lot of times I hit someone the right day with the how's everything going question. And they write me those paragraphs about what's going on. Mm -hmm. They needed someone to talk to. And yes, they're there as a professional, but they're there as a human being. And we need to really think beyond our professionalism, step off that pedestal, get down to earth, be a good human being. Don't try and be a superhero. Just try and connect with people the way that you would if you were in person. Love it. Okay. So you mentioned something before we started recording about podcasts. And I just want to highlight this is you get on two to three podcasts a week. Why is that? Because I have the ability to connect with more people that way. Mm. And as I'm developing more ideas of what I'm doing, Mm -hmm. it also helps me to become more masterful because I never know what's going to come out of a host's mouth. Mm -hmm. And that's a beautiful thing because I have people completely knock me over sideways with a question and I have to think on my feet. And sometimes that adrenaline rush, the brilliance comes out. It's like when you're speaking from the stage and you say something, you're like, Ooh, that was pretty smart. Where did that come from? Right. And it is a great thing. It helps you to explore your information at a deeper level. It helps you to reach out to more audiences. Mm -hmm. And what I like is when I have the opportunity to share that with my audience as well, because then they get to see these amazing thinkers. Like to be a host, you can't just be like, here's the questions, gonna read them one, two, three. Those are the worst interviews ever. Yeah. But when you have someone who is a great thinker and they're present, they're tuned into what's going on and they ask those brilliant questions. Now I get to show those people off to my audience as well and help them to gain more followership, which I just think that's a beautiful thing. I love it. I love it. And I love that you're using it to spread your message, but also spread the message of those that you're going on their their shows. Um, Mm -hmm. You know what? I would just like to highlight, you know, your podcast, the Badass Entrepreneurs Club. So if you guys are tuning in right now. Um, and you're like, man, I am like loving what Angela is speaking. She's speaking like right into my soul. Go check out her podcast and see if there's some more takeaways that you can get. Cause I'm sure there's a lot that we haven't covered on this interview so far. Thank you for the shout out. I appreciate it. Oh, of course. So let's talk about that is like, how does it feel to be a host and then to be a guest? What do you like about both? Well, when I had the when I had Unleashing Dutch's potential, I also had a podcast with that until I sold the company. So oh, okay. I had it in the pink seat. I think I started that in 2017. And for the most part, like I wasn't even worried about being a guest on other people's shows. I just wanted to highlight 
what was happening in the industry with amazing thought leaders. Mm -hmm. And so I was in control of the situation the whole time, which is so much easier to be a host. Yeah. And then when I started coming on and being a guest, I was like, oh, oh, this is, yeah, this is way harder. This is way more nerve wracking. I have Mm -hmm. butterflies before I get on a call. Mm Because again, you never know what's going to happen. And it's what is lovely is when someone has a conversation with you where it feels like your two buddies chatting. Yeah. When it feels like someone is drilling you or they're trying to highlight themselves instead of interacting with the information, then those can be really nerve wracking as well. But mm. um, I find that podcasting, yeah, it really does help. It helps me get out of my own way with being afraid of what is going to come out of my mouth. And when I used to host panel discussions for some of the big dental corporations, mm-hmm. I hated it because I, I had no idea what was what someone was going to say. And I'm trying to like remember what the questions were on the page and they had questions they wanted me to ask. Oh. And so it felt awkward. Yeah. But the podcasting, when I have great hosts like you, makes it super easy and fun. Oh, thank you. You're welcome. So let's talk about the host side of things is like, how do you come up with good questions to ask during the interview? It's one of those things where I have no idea what's going to come out of my mouth ahead of time. Right. And so what I want to do is my goal is to track their story and anything that I feel like needs more clarification. then I ask a question to expand that. And then we get back to the story. So again, it's that matter of trying to be very present, trying to absorb what's going on so that I can ask the questions. But I think the audience is probably thinking as well, because oftentimes Mm -hmm. I know the person at some level and so we've had a conversation before. So I have to also put on my I know nothing hat and just sit there and be like, okay, what is what is missing for the audience here? Because I know what the gap is in that information, but they don't. So mm-hmm. that allows me to pull more color out of the person that I'm interviewing and allow them to tell their story often at a deeper level than they're used to telling it. Yeah. And then being able to pull out the lessons as well. And yeah. That's, that's my favorite part of the hosting. I love that you said, bring more color. I think that's awesome way to say it because that is really what I try to do for you guys that are listening is I do have a couple questions that I'm asking, but I'm not even like, I don't even really refer to them. But what I'm trying to do is I try to pull out, like you said, the story, or I try to get more of the story and then either maybe there's a piece of that story that you said earlier. So then I try to bring back in that fact and it'd be like, Oh, here it is. Here's your story in the plate. (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. I love that. Perfect. Well, so for my listeners, they know that this is kind of towards the end of the podcast. So what we're going to do is we're going to bust out these pod decks and we're going to ask some questions. We're going to ask three questions just to dive a little bit more into you. Okay. All right. Okay, here we go. If a crystal ball could tell you the truth about yourself, your life, the future, or anything else, what would you want to know? What impact I am leaving on the world. I love that. I love that. Definitely. What do you think is the impact that you're leaving on the world? What I hope I'm leaving is helping people to get out of their way so the people who need them can find them so that they can change the world with what they've invested in learning. Mm Mm-hmm. Perfect. If you could be a different person, who would you be and why? I don't know that I'd want to be a different person. I feel like my life has been, like you've seen, my professional life has been pretty colorful. 
my personal life is equally as colorful. And I think the richness of that, I don't think I'd want to trade it to walk in anyone else's footsteps. It's not always been fun, but I think it's been worth it. Yeah, I love that that you say that. I think people always ask, like, would we change lives or would we we change spots with someone or, or you know, step into someone's shoes? It's like maybe, but I feel like you have to have gone through those trials and tribulations to get to where you're at and to really appreciate life. Agreed. Okay. If you could send a message to a large group of people, who would those people be? And what would your message say? That's the last one. It would be to those brilliant people who are extremely shy and I've walked in their shoes. Mm -hmm. That's my, my natural tendency is to be really shy. And what I would suggest is that they start to learn to just be who they are and be okay with it. Because usually the shyness comes from severe self-judgment and it's a terrible way to live. It prevents you from changing people's lives. It prevents you from having that richness and juiciness of life because you spend so much time in your head thinking that you suck. Mm -hmm. So let it go. Learn to understand who you are. Be okay with who you are because everyone needs you just exactly as you are. You don't need to be anyone else. I love that. I think the take-home message there is just step into your greatness, guys. You have something that you have to offer the world and you know, just own it. Yes. All right. Well, thank you, Angela, for joining us on the show today. For the listeners that related to your message and they feel like, hey, like I want to reach out to Angela, how can they do that? So they can go to my website, unleashinginfluence.com. And if you go to unleashinginfluence.com slash contact, you can set up a 30-minute call with me. Or if you want to reach out directly, you can go to my email, Angela at unleashinginfluence.com. Perfect. Thank you for, again for coming on. And then for the all listeners, right. all that information is going to be in the show notes for sure. And then don't forget to rate, review, and follow the podcast for more episodes. Peace, guys. more inspiring conversations like this one, I invite you to join my free Facebook group, Healthcare Hacks and Connections. Also, be sure to subscribe, rate, review on Apple, Spotify, and Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Lastly, be sure to follow our socials on Instagram, thepodcast underscore doc, and Nate Novice on Facebook. Thank you and have a great day.